The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports. They're incredible. I mean, it's just not usually in awe of teams that much, but I just can't help being in awe of Barcelona Femini. Like, they're just incredible. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Off the ball daily. Welcome along. Tuesday's Off the Ball is coming at you. So Gav Cooney was present and correct in Doha to see Morocco send Spain packing on penalties. He will join us at 8 o'clock to describe all. This hour, Chris Jones of the BBC will give us the lowdown on Eddie Jones, sacked uh, ruthlessly against uh, expectations. People thought he would hang on, but uh, he bit the bullet. So Chris Jones is with us this hour. Gareth A. Davies in the next hour on Tyson Fury, Derek Chisora, which was, in many people's eyes, a pretty grim spectacle, a completely one-sided bout, which was entirely predictable. Derek Chisora, it seems, took 10 rounds of punishment and several observers wondering why. So Gareth A. Davies will uh, join us. Why besides money, I guess, the obvious point. And then the football show... Two brothers, The Life and Times of Jackie and Bobby Charlton. Jonathan Wilson has written a book. Um, the Two Charlton Brothers, it's highly recommended. We had a conversation with Jonathan before he ventured out to Doha. So we're going to play that for you this evening. Just a change of pace when it comes to World Cup coverage. 53106, the text number. We are at Off The Ball on Twitter. Ronaldo dropped for Portugal this evening. They are underway against Switzerland. There are four minutes gone. Gianni Infantino has been shown on screen, so now we can settle down <laughs> and get on with events. We have Anne-Marie Dunham once again in studio. You're welcome back. Hi, Joe. Michael McCarthy, hello. Hello. I was chatting to Gareth A. Davies during much of Morocco against Spain. I missed the penalty shootout. We had Braun versus Subtlety. Well, Braun and a Penenka, to be fair. Versus <laughs> That's, yeah, very subtlety. important. It was 3-0, so Spain did not score a penalty. You were watching this, Amory. Give us the lowdown. Yeah, delighted for Morocco. They totally deserved this. Uh, Spain were really poor. They didn't bring much to the game, but Morocco brought an awful lot to it. And it was more a case that they didn't let Spain bring anything. They were so disciplined. Their organisation was so impressive to keep concentration for the 90 minutes and then the half an hour of extra time as well. So 120 minutes against a big nation, um, a former champion. They didn't buckle whatsoever. They kept their shape so impressively. They were disciplined, didn't foul them, didn't give away silly freeze. And yeah, they totally, totally deserved the victory and they can go on now as... They go into the quarterfinals against either Portugal or Switzerland and they'll fancy their chances. As you said as well, it went to penalties the first time they'd ever been involved in a penalty shootout and they didn't show any fear in that whatsoever. And also there was no messing. The first two were straight down the middle, hard penalties, you know, they kind of um, didn't mess around. Then the third, um, I can't remember who took it, but he did have a little bit of fun with it. But yeah, totally deserving of the win and Spain fall out of this World Cup, possibly one of the biggest flops ever to win their first game 7-0, to draw their second. What was the result in their third? You have to stop asking me questions live on air. <laughs> and then and then not to score in 120 minutes and a penalty shootout. Really, really poor from them. I didn't see much of it. The five, ten minutes I did see Morocco were every bit as physical as Spain. They were dominating tackles. They were 
biting into Spain. Spain were so easy to knock off the ball. Yeah, totally. Out of possession, they were in a 4-5-1 and pretty comfortable. I did see an extra time when I glanced over. Morocco missed a brilliant chance. They were in one-on-one and it was a pretty tame effort. And then were the Spanish penalties off target or just easily saved? Oh no, this is the point. This is going back to what we were saying yesterday. They were soft, softly hit penalties that the keeper dives the right way for. Once they dive the right way for them penalties, it's a save. Mm. You know, I think maybe one of them, maybe the second one, Anne-Marie, was a decent save. But again, the ball's coming at you in borderline slow motion, you know. And it's just this is what I was talking about yesterday. Morocco go up and whack the first two in. You know, I really, I really think this is a trend that is... As you mentioned yesterday, you add the nervousness of a World Cup penalty shootout. You add the fact that this is a young group of players that are taking them, although Sergio Busquets was the third one. Uh, he's not young, but, um, you know, Solar and Sarabia, I think, were the other two mm. that, that took the penalties. And just, like, nervous penalties with no... Uh, they just they weren't struck true, I suppose, you know, and... Conviction. When, when that happens, I just they're just lacking that conviction, yeah. So when that happens, there's just always a chance. And once the first one was missed, uh, you know... It didn't seem like Morocco were going to miss one. Um, but once Morocco's first as well was scored and the manner it was scored in, you know, convincingly, yeah. it kind of felt like the penalty shootout was theirs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If, he, if he had Japan messed around yesterday. for the first one and then that nervousness set in and the fact that they hadn't been involved in a shootout before, it could have been a different story. It does mean the only team Spain have ever beaten in a penalty shootout are... Ireland. Yeah, they brought that up on <laughs> the panel afterwards. Yeah, and they tried to blow that one as well. If yeah. you remember, we, we we just bottled it worse. Mendy, as they yeah, said. a bottle. The only or thing about bobble, bobble. Morocco the was, was they probably don't have much in that final third, and you know a little bit of creativity at the very end of a, of of a move. But in terms of Portugal and Switzerland, you could easily see a bit of a surprise here in oh, the yeah. quarterfinal and then into a semi-final. First African nation that would do it. They've been good in every game. Like I, I mentioned before, actually half jokingly that I watched them against uh, Croatia in the first game because it was the only 10am that I actually got down to and it was a terrible game of football. But they were every bit as good as Croatia who are They're in the hard, quarterfinals. Hard, and, hard side you know, to beat. We consistently underestimate Croatia. You know, they were obviously better than Belgium, I would say. And, you know, then you go and uh, and then today they're every bit as good as Spain. They're not. They're, I don't think they're going to be walkovers for anyone. A lot of people tipped them to win. When Kevin Caban was on OTBAM. I mentioned it. Nobody believes me. Uh, I think it was on the show. I must go and try and find some evidence of that. But uh, I said that they beat Spain. And uh, I'm pretty sure Kenny on TV and Kevin Doyle said it yeah. as well. Or they were wearing fezes for some reason anyway. It, again, I like I said, I just managed to catch... Five ten minutes, and it was immediately apparent they were at that level, and they topped their group. Yeah. So it's a surprise, if not quite a shock. And it is a nil-all draw, which is one on penalties. It's not like Spain have crashed out in disgraceful fashion. If they'd drawn nil-all in the group stages against Morocco, I don't think we would have uh, thought much less of them. But yeah. uh, Portugal, Switzerland will face the winners. Con and Limerick says France, England is huge now. It is a de facto semi-final. Whoever wins will almost certainly stroll through the semi-finals. There is that. There is that extra incentive. Spain always felt like the dangerous team on that side mm. of the draw. We should uh, kick on with the news round. It is, as ever, brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. So we have covered the World Cup uh, thus far this afternoon. Eddie Jones, meanwhile. Yeah, he was sacked as head coach of the England rugby team today. 
the Rugby Football Union acted ahead of next year's World Cup following a poor run of form which saw England lose to Argentina and South Africa in their November internationals. Australian Jones took over in 2015 and brought England to Grand Slam glory in his first Six Nations Championship. In all, he won three Six Nations titles and also reached the final of the 2019 World Cup, which they lost to the Springboks. Leicester Tigers coach Steve Borthwick is the favourite to replace Jones. And after ruling himself out of contention for this job last week, Ronan O'Gara has signed a new contract with La Rochelle. He's set to stay with the European champions until 2027. Chris Jones with us this hour to explain all. Eddie Jones gone. Yeah. Matt Gitto tweeted afterwards, this is one of the silliest decisions I've ever seen. Big mistake, England. Yeah, that he's been building for a World Cup and everything that happens in between doesn't matter. He did win a Grand Slam, three Six Nations titles and get them to a uh, World Cup final. Like, I even thought the wording, now they did a tweet straight after, which was like a thank you, Eddie. But the uh, tweet uh, beforehand that announced the result was like, Eddie Jones has been dismissed <laughs> as England coach. I just thought there was there's something very strong and stark in that wording, isn't there? Usually, I think they kind of beat around the bush a little bit and they say they've agreed to part ways or maybe they might even throw mutually in there whether it's true or not. But this was very much a, he's out the door and it's our decision here, guys, you know. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, so you wonder kind of what went on behind the scenes. I, that's just interests me as to whether it was uh, amicable in any way. But it's a, it's a humiliating thing to happen to Jones when he's obviously been building for this World Cup. But, you know, I think you'll miss him mm. as a character in the, in the game, in the Six Nations. We talked a little bit about that last night when we thought that this might happen. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a, it's a risk, isn't it? Like, it's funny, with, with, Fra- with Wales, it was almost things had gone so badly that it was, and you go back to a safe pair of hands, it was almost like that was the conservative steady option. Whereas in this case, I think getting rid of the coach is the opposite of that. I think it was, you know, you almost say this guy has a track record. He could turn it around. We know what we're going to get. Whereas now, you know, they're in anything could happen, I suppose. You know, there's only eight months to go, nine months to go. It's absolute chaos, really. They can't be confident of anything going well here under these circumstances. Gatlin's assumption of the role with Wales, it's quite specific for various reasons and he's very likely to hit the ground running. Uh, there's his experience, there's his familiarity with everybody involved, whereas Steve Borthwick, it's his first head coach role at test level in less than ideal circumstances. Everybody in the RFU is crossing their fingers and hoping this works out. Andy yeah. Farrell took a year to settle into Yeah, and that's it. And it's not as if like like a very good coach like Stuart Lancaster, who we obviously know what he can do, struggled in that job. Martin Johnson was a disaster in that job. It's not as if you just go in there and, you know, it's it's a straightforward thing. Let's just get it together. There's a lot of different mm. characters at play. There's a lot of very, very big experienced names in there that Steve Bortwick will have even played with one or two of them, I would imagine. And... I don't know. Like I mean, I, 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 it's not a guarantee. No, that it's not far from that, that's a, that that they click and they meld, and they'd have to do it straight away. Now he was talked about in some respects as the glue behind the scenes when he was with Jones for four years up until the nineteen World Cup final. So he will have that experience with them. But there is a big step from being one of the second in command, friends with the players, a conduit to the coach to yeah. the coach. So again, no one knows how 
that dynamic works. I'm talking here as if I'm terribly concerned. I mean, <laughs> I'm over. I, it's it's, it, it's I, hilarious. I watch with interest. My concern okay. is that it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Chris Jones will join us this hour. He's the BBC's rugby union correspondent. That was a great guest. And then Gav Cooney on the way after eight. Like I said, he was at Spain against Morocco. Some of the team news from the weekends, rugby starting to trickle in. Yeah, Conor Murray is in line to feature for Munster in their Heineken Champions Cup opener, which is against Toulouse at Thomond Park on Sunday. The province confirmed today that the 33-year-old has returned to training this week. That's after recovering from the groin injury he sustained against South Africa last month. Mike Haley is also expected to be available. That's after completing return to play protocols. Simon Zebo, though, is out for the coming weeks after picking up a low-grade knee injury against Edinburgh at the weekend. John Cooney, Ian Henderson and Tom Stewart, meanwhile, are all doubts for Ulster's opening game, which is against Sale Sharks on Sunday. All three of them are following return to play protocols after having to be removed from the field of play with head injuries in their nine point loss to Leinster in the URC on Saturday. Finley Bealham, Dave Heffernan and Keane Prendergast will not feature for Connacht in their Challenge Cup opener, which is against Newcastle Falcons this weekend. They've opted to rest the Ireland trio. They can, of course, only play their internationals in five of their next seven matches. That's in order to comply with the IRFU's mandatory rest periods. Connacht reached the Champions Cup knockout stages for the first time last season. However, they're back in Europe's second tier this campaign, though they have been, which they have been semi-finalists in on three occasions. Prop Peter Dooley spoke today. He said to play in the competition for the first time. He moved from Leinster to the Westerners in the summer. He says the whole camp is looking forward to the campaign ahead. The fact that it's a new opposition as well, like obviously we play the URC teams every year. Um, a lot of their traits are similar year on year. We're playing Newcastle. It's obviously been a good few years since Connacht and I've never played against Newcastle before. So um, <clears throat> that kind of uncertainty I suppose, adds to the bit of the kind of, I suppose, looseness, as you said, and that kind of liveliness in the game. Yeah, so no, it is, that's exciting. That's the exciting thing about European rugby. You get to compete against premiership teams, French teams, and yeah, I think we're all looking forward to it. Like, it's European rugby at the end of the day, and you're playing against some top quality teams, and <clears throat> the difference between the two is no real odds to us now. We just want to go and compete against obviously premiership teams and then playing Breve next year uh, or next week, sorry. Um, so yeah, no, look, uh, we're excited just to play European rugby and like the slate is wiped fresh. So um, we're looking forward to getting going. We have a goal. We have a goal. Portugal are 1-0 up and coach is feeling mightily vindicated just now because Gonzalo Ramos has scored mm. starting in place of Cristiano Ronaldo plays for Benfica this guy's had a breakout year and has only made his debut in the last 12 months or so and he got the nod this evening ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo and on 18 minutes he scored an extraordinary goal inside the penalty area great first touch with his right foot to turn still under pressure from his man swings his left foot at it I don't know if he's left-footed or not. If he's not left-footed, it's an even better goal. And it goes in at the near post, in off the underside of the crossbar. Keeper has no time to react. I don't even know if you could blame really? the keeper in so much as you can blame keepers. He rifled keepers for it, you're right. Like, it was a very, very hard there, shot. Uh, near post. But um, 
I think there was so much power on it, it'd be hard Maybe to blame him. If. I mean, there's not much room to get through there, though. Like, <laughs> he should be, I think he should be saving it, but... I don't think so. Arthur doesn't agree. He's, uh, he's rifled from 15 yards into the top corner, in off the underside of the crossbar. How could he even get over that quickly? Yeah, I'd agree with you there, Joe. Why are you so hard on the keepers, Mick? You're like Roy Keane Keeper needs to look after his near post, Joe. Basic. 101. Uh, You're taken away from... I know, that was a great shot. Strike, yeah. Vindication, uh, as you say. Ronaldo will never play for anyone again. Yeah, I'm sure that's <laughs> crossing his mind. Camera cut to him Camera there. Camera pans he, to him, He yeah. had to look enthused about the, inter- the situation, whereas, honestly, he wants it to be one nil all with 10 min- 20 minutes to go so we can come on. I know. I know, it's a grim... Like, I mean, surely the realisation is, is starting to come across for him, but... I don't know. As we saw a month ago, he certainly didn't have any sense of the reality of the situation. So if you're suddenly dropped by Portugal, yeah, you know, has that come out of nowhere? I don't know. Like, a, apparently there was a fan poll in Portugal ahead of this game, and it was overwhelmingly of the opinion Ronaldo should be dropped. Yeah, um, I saw that. Akin yeah. to Manchester United fans it's increasingly feeling he should be dropped. His manager openly spoke about um, how unhappy he was with Ronaldo's reaction to being subbed for the South Korea game. Right. So things are not positive behind the scenes there in any way. It's very much a snapshot of 20 minutes and us being in here and not fully watching sure. it, but they've looked a lot more dynamic from what I've seen of them. So, you know, just kind of even just looking over, they've actually looked pretty good here so far. Even just before, there was a great move just before the goal um, where it came to nothing, but it was just lovely football in the build-up. We're just seeing the goal again. Give him, make a chance to revise his opinion. Yeah, the well, ball went in. He just doesn't react like. That's because the ball was travelling at about four hundred kilometres an hour. <laughs> yeah. Oh come on, keeper hasn't a chance there. Okay, Absolutely all right. Okay, not. look, I, I mean, I'll defer to the fact that everybody seems to disagree with me here, which uh, would suggest I'm wrong. I'm not. I'm not arrogant enough to to think that I know more, but. That I was seem, my instinct. I seem to remember David Priest being on recently as well, the goalkeeping coach, and saying that the, you shouldn't be beaten at the near post maxim, isn't actually what the professionals professionals think always okay that there's more going on they're covering different angles I think to be fair in that instance he just didn't have time to move either yeah way. okay okay. it's just there's not a lot of space between where the goalkeeper is and where the post is yes. so he doesn't have a huge amount to cover further underlining the speed fine yeah <laughs> As I said, I'm I'm not arrogant enough to He's not Piers accept Morgan over here. Wrong. Just because Ronaldo didn't score it, all right? <laughs> Piers Morgan's on the same thing. Piers Morgan, I Piers Morgan is like, like I know you actually aren't buying into the messy narrative that everybody seems to be. Uh, yeah. you know, but like it's coming from a place of just. I didn't know, interview Ronaldo. He's just like. He's, he's going on like a, he's like one of those lunatics on Twitter that every time there's something about Messi he's tweeting about how he's not as good as Ronaldo yeah. you know, or vice versa he's, just, he's gone down that pathway because he sat down for an hour or a few hours yeah. but Ronaldo a couple of weeks ago so yeah. weird it is weird it's sick striking alright so we will press on Amory, where do you want to go? Michael O'Neill is understood Joe to be on the verge of becoming Northern Ireland manager for a second time the former Shamrock Rovers boss was in charge of Northern Ireland between 2012 and 2020 guided them to the European Championship finals in France in 2016 during that period he has been out of management since he was sacked by Stoke back in August the Irish Football Association of course sacked Ian Barraclough in October of this year Uh, Richard Jolly has tweeted 
Gonzalo Ramos has now scored more goals in the knockout stages of World Cups than Cristiano Ronaldo, <laughs> who doesn't have a great record. And he's level with Messi. Yeah. So that's less relevant to the tweet. The Moroccan goalkeeper is called Bono. Yeah. Yeah, they were making jokes about that. Oh, I'll bet they were. <laughs> He'll be singing tonight, etc. Beautiful day for Morocco. Oh, with okay, Bono saving good. three penalty kicks. Morocco had pride and desire and walk on. Spain were bad, just got stuck in a moment they can't get out of and still haven't found what they're looking for. Surrender. Who came up with that? It's a text. Okay, very good. Is that a real text? Do you do that, Arthur? No, it's a real text. It's a real text. Yeah. I think, yeah, the surrender one is a bit, <laughs> it's a bit thrown in. I think the rest of it serves a lot of credit. The rest of it works. Surrender was just one more. Yeah. Squeeze one more in. Well done, um, Texter. Yeah, didn't even well put a name text. to it. No. Maybe yeah, it was from. I say it's good. probably because he stole it off Twitter. If I was to guess, no offense if you didn't. Uh, let us know if you didn't. But what? my guess is you stole it off Twitter. What are the odds Bono texted in 53106? <laughs> the goalkeeper or the singer? Either, but I was leaning more towards the singer. I don't know. He's on a book tour at the moment, so maybe. Mm. Would we talk to him? Yeah, we take Bono. Yeah. I was suggesting him for the Sunday papers just the other week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be brilliant. But I mean, oh yeah, as in you think Bono's going to come in and do the Sunday papers? God, you, don't, you, you don't have to tell it like what it is, What are you trying is, to say, Andrew? <laughs> okay. But, but you're part of this show as well on a Sunday. I look forward to oh, that. Please. Uh, do you think Bono's into sport? He's into his rugby. Is he, yeah? Is he? Yeah. Say he grew up watching rugby. Well, he went to Mount Temple, which isn't a particularly big rugby school. Are you asking me another question? I can't possibly know the answer. <laughs> oh, I think she was actually... <laughs> this is the radio show. I don't think Mount Temple has much of a history of rugby, no. Anyway, yeah, we'll find out when he's on the papers in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who would you put him with on the papers? Bono and... <laughs> Mick O'Keefe. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be tricky. You no? need someone... Cleaner. You'd need Brian Kerr. Be interesting. Brian Kerr is quite into his music. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, she will cross that bridge, right? <laughs> A Sunday producer can look after that. We'll lock in Bono first and then we'll worry about second choice. Maybe just on his own. No. Yourself and Bono. I don't know if that'd be the right way to do it. Paul Kimmich. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Move on, I think, is what's coming in. Already. What did you say? Dumpy. Eamon Dunphy. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Showbiz. Yeah, that's a good yeah. show. Okay. Let's move on. Really good news today, Joe. World number one, Rory McIlroy, has been confirmed for next year's Irish Open at the K Club in County Kildare. The tournament is set to be held from September 7th until the 10th. McIlroy won the last edition of the Open that was staged at the venue that was back in 2016. He will, of course, use the event as part of his final preparations for the Ryder Cup in Rome. Yeah, brilliant. I'm back. Spain did surrender. They couldn't even get one. That you? No, I don't. When do you think I have time to be doing these things? This is, uh, this is, I presume, the same texter. Bono. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> himself. We get it. You have a book out. Come on. <laughs> Stop trying to hijack the news rent. Uh, 
Okay, so Portugal won, Switzerland nil. That's all. That's that's us for today, Emery. That's all the stories I brought in. Yeah, <laughs> that is just all the stories. <laughs> Emery, are these the only stories? <laughs> yeah. Maybe I left. We, we can ask open end the questions. Script so. ever so slightly <laughs> short. No, that is fine. Thank you very much. Thanks. I'll Joe. see you again on Sunday. Yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just you wait till Bono walks in, and you'll be apologising. We had a Bono uh, impersonator in here about was it a month or two ago, and honestly, everybody spent the whole day. He looked very, very like him. Mm. And uh, nearly everybody in uh, the team OTB kind of was like, is it, is it as people were taking bets and everything as to whether it was him? Into we're going up to sort of like find an excuse as to walk by, okay. you know, at the, the waiting area here. It wasn't Bono. When you got up close, it like really, really wasn't. But anyway, he, there you go. Has he been on We could get him on to do oh, the papers. Has he been on talking about his book? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. They're saving that one for you. Perhaps, yeah. Arthur, is it locked down yet? Paul, I've, I've Paul McGuinness's number. I'll get on to, right. Arthur, when's Bono on? What story? <laughs> uh, fear not. We've Gavin Cooney after eight o'clock. We have Chris Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that sounds like a dig at Gav. He's in Doha. He, that. he, he didn't hear this. That. He didn't hear this. He's in Doha. And we have Gareth A. Davies. It's a good chat with Gareth A. Davies. Lots of people very critical of the Derek Chisora fight against Tyson Fury because really it seemed everybody knew this was just going to be a fighter taking punishment for however many rounds and that's exactly what it turned out to be so even on the Friday Donald McRae had said this is a bleak disturbing affair and it reflects the abject state of boxing and then there was a piece for instance in the Times afterwards which basically uh, said the headline of the piece was battering of a bloody human punch bag will never be sport and he, this is Rick Broadbent in the Times who said it was a non-contest it made you fear for both the loser and the sport so we'll chat to Gareth A. Davies about that in the next hour